0: And welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is a message that Tom Job gave on Sunday morning, June 12th, 2022, from the Gospel of John in chapter 15.
1: So I wanted to read to you from, and this is from... The Gospel of John, chapter 15. So this was when Jesus like met with his guys for the last time. Before he was arrested and he was gonna tell him like the most important things that he, that they wouldn't really understand until later. But uh, this is, he's like, this is really, these are the most important things you need to understand because you're going places you don't even know and you're gonna go through things you don't even know about. So just pay attention. And then at the end of chapter 14, it says, "Arise, right, let's go from here. And they left that room and walked through the city and walked down the side of the Judean hillside and he said this I am the true vine my father is the gardener he cuts off every branch that doesn't bear fruit um so um I think I said last time like this is a word that sometimes is translated lifts up like when Jesus fed the 5,000 and he told the disciples to go and pick up all the pieces that were left and Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you have to pick up your cross and follow me. So what some people believe, some scholars believe, is that what he's talking about is like if a branch doesn't really, there's really only two branches for each side of a vine, there's really only four in all, but if there was a branch that wasn't really bearing fruit, that the vine dresser would lift it up and maybe tie it on a string a little bit higher so we could get more sun, get more air, and, uh, you know, be closer to his attention, so... But while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it might be even more fruitful. Lord, i just I just ask you to expand like our minds. I like can expand our hearts. You're just saying, "Look at this. Look, look, there's so much to learn and so much to understand, and so much to know. I can't put it in words. I have to put it in a plant. Help us to understand it, especially for what it means for us for each one of us, and for the people that we love, for the people that are watching us. This is super, super, super important. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, okay, so this morning before uh, pre- before I came here, so I ran um, five miles, which I do every day, which I have done pretty much almost every day for 47 years, like without really missing a day. And the reason I started doing that was because um, It's how I learned to quit smoking. So, like, I started running to quit smoking. I mean, I started smoking when I was, like, cigarettes that we stole from my dad when I was about 11. And just kind of what they call slip smoke for, like, several years. I I smoked a pipe in high school in my house. My parents thought it was cool. I mean, that is super (laughs) weird when you think about it. But just um, smoking. So then I met Jesus. And then the next week, week I met Tina. And then seven... Months later, we got married, and as I like to say, I didn't know either one of them very well, but that whole smoking thing kind of came along for the ride for a little bit, and then, um, but she never, ever, ever said anything about it, just, but I knew I probably didn't like it, and um, sometimes I'd go in the bathroom, and I'd stand on the toilet, and I'd blow it like up into the thing, you know, I'd turn on the shower and blow it, and I do remember one time she came by, knocked on the door and said, I know what you're doing in there. So, but, it, but anyway, so um, I was trying to stop smoking, which, um, if you've never had to do that, OK. You don't know what I'm talking about. I mean, like, there's different, so there's different ways to stop smoking. One of them is they, they say, so, OK, smoke. You can smoke so much that you make yourself super sick, and then that will be the last day you smoke. Um, I am catching a vague memory of trying that. And um, I don't want to talk about it. So no, that is not a good idea. Um, but another one was set a date. Like you set a date and say, I'm going to smoke. I'm just going to keep smoking until this date. And I'm preparing my mind and preparing my heart. and on that day, this will be the last day I smoke, so it 's going to be like three weeks from now or whatever, and then i 'm going to smoke till then and so um, because I was a new christian i didn 't really know what Christians thought about it, so I was always we lived in those married student housing over on Sutherland Avenue, and I never wanted my new Christian friends to come over and bust me smoking because i didn 't know how that would go and so i didn 't really smoke until after nine thirty at night, but I would always go driving around, so I would tell Tina, hey, I need to get." A gallon of milk do you care if I go get a a gallon of milk and she said no I don't think you need it but then but I I would drive around Sequoia Hills and then I remember on the date so on the date this is gonna be my last day of smoking so I smoked three cigarettes and I threw the pack out the window on Sequoia Drive you know and so um, that was it and then the next day I thought "Mm, maybe today's the day so I went and bought another pack and I did it again and then I did that for a few evenings kind of always moving the date and then I started throwing them out the window where I could find them the next day because it was quitting, quitting smoking was getting expensive. But anyway, in 1976, in 19, it was four years before the before the world came to Knoxville in the Expo, Expo, 82 Expo, and so they did the, the first Expo tin case. So I was. Um, I was so pumped because I was going to run it was 6.2 miles. But I was so nervous about running that I couldn't sleep. And I smoked a whole pack. I've never really done this, but I'd smoked a whole pack of cigarettes like the night before that race, and then ran the race. And at the end of the race, I thought, one of these things is not like the other. Like, I mean, I don't. I'm, this is taking me to the hour of decision. I can't do both of these. And so I just realized. So I started running, and that's why um, and I just quit smoking because I, you can't do them both. And so that's really, that's really what helped me. But um, so I've never stopped running because I'm afraid if I stop, I might go back. So no, but, no, but it's been like 40 something years, and, but I haven't had one. But I guess it was um, Mark Twain. Mark Twain's daughter said he is the smokiest person who has ever lived. But he always said, the Bible doesn't talk about it. So let's have a cigar and another chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. That's what he said, That's what he said one time. But he said, he said smoking, he said, people think smoking, not smoking helps you live longer. It's not that you live longer. It just seems longer. But, they, but, um, but the hard part about quitting smoking, like C.S. Lewis, he was a big smoker himself. And he said, I could quit smoking. He said, he said I could smoke and live my life. And do my work, or I could quit smoking and do nothing else because he said not smoking would be a full-time job. And that so that's the thing about smoking, like quitting smoking, it's it's the you're, it's the hardest. That you're you're putting everything into not doing something. Like it's not that you're working as hard as you can to hike the AT or to run twenty miles or to learn French or something like that. You're doing putting all your effort into doing not doing something like doing. Nothing, essentially. So that takes me to John 15. So because in John 15, so Jesus said, um, in John 15, like he takes them out on this Judean hillside where there were all these vineyards. And there was like rows and rows and rows and rows of vines, like of these vines coming out of the ground. Like sometimes the roots went down like 18 feet, you know. And so, and they're coming down. And they just kind of grew on their own. They'd be a bush about 30 feet tall, you know? So, but instead, they're about three and a half feet tall and just cut off. And there's a, vi- a, a branch growing out of this side and a branch growing out of that side from last year. And then a new branch, there's only four branches on it. And then, and you start to see, at a certain point, you start to see leaves coming and then flowers coming. And then you see fruit, and it's like, it's beautiful to see it, and it's delicious. And, it, and when you pick it and squash it, it just becomes liquid sweetness. And if you store it in leather bags, it becomes wine, which for just for some people, it's just like liquid joy, just like a liquid blessing. And Jesus said, just look at it and think about it. Okay, so this, that whole concept, of a vine with a branch and fruit that's beautiful and delicious and sweet. This is a key to the mission of winning hearts into the multi-ethnic, international, global kingdom of lovers and, because of that, followers of Jesus when they see people who are supernaturally, transformationally beautiful in the people that they are, beautiful, and just, they're living this delicious life that's just sweet and full of joy. It's like people who have almost a brightness, like a, bright, a transformational brightness. It's almost like there's like light and beauty and joy in their affect, in their behavior, in the, their comportment, in their demeanor, in their emotions, in their face even, you know? And it's just like, I mean, people who are just so incredibly sweet... And where does that? I mean, I've known them. I mean, I know some of them in this room, you know. And but I've met when I became a Christian, when I accepted Jesus, it was in California in 1974. And the first followers of Jesus I ever knew were Chinese. It was in a Chinese, a historical Presbyterian Chinese church in Chinatown. And they were so sweet. They were so kind. I mean, it's just like, how do you explain these people? And then when we went to be missionaries in Italy, and we met that, me, Al Nutzeroni and I, we had this English language church, and there was a Filipino guy named Teddy. and. There were a lot of Filipinos in Milano because they had to, it was a disaster in the Philippines. So there were people who were accountants and engineers. And they were coming to Milan to work as house servants. And they were making five times as much as they could in the Philippines as, as, um, as bankers and stuff, because it was just such a disaster. And there was a young guy named Teddy. And he was just so sweet. And he was so kind. And he just had a light about his face. One time, he asked me to go talk to his, Uh, The lady that he was working for, he he was a house servant in her house. And because his Italian wasn't very good and he was trying to talk to her about Jesus and she said, oh, Teddy, she was telling me, Teddy's so sweet, but he keeps telling me that he just looks at me, he just looks up to me as his savior, like he just keeps saying I've been his savior. And I was like, no, 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 no. He's trying to tell you about his savior. You did not do this. Like, this (laughs) not But there's just, and it's just kind of like, how do you explain it? Like, how do you explain (sighs) certain people and why they're so kind and why they love the way they do and why their life is so beautiful, just their affect and the person that they are? And it's because um, the New Testament says they have a superpower. It's literally a superpower. It's a superpower. It's literally one. Like, it's a power. The word super is a Latin word that means above, and sometimes it means beyond. But above, it comes from above. It's beyond the normal person. It's a power that they didn't have before. It's a power that other people don't have. It's a superpower of kindness. It's a superpower of sweetness. It's a superpower of love. It's a superpower. It's like because when they accepted Jesus, something happened to them. It's something. So when the New Testament talks about this, like the superpower that followers of Jesus have, a superpower of patience, a superpower of sweetness, you can get the feeling that that they're stretching the power of language to try to say it. I don't really know. Quite how to say this, but like Paul said in Ephesians chapter one, I just pray that the eyes of your heart could be opened that you might know the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe you didn't have it before that. Other people don't have it who haven't believed in Jesus, which is in accordance with his power, which he wrought in Jesus when he raised him from the dead. Like somehow or another, the same power, the same superpower, because you have like the presence of Almighty God, the Holy Spirit and Jesus through him lives in you, the supernatural power of Jesus that is like, it's just like the power that it took to raise Jesus from the dead. It's that same power to make you kind and sweet. And it's just, you know, like, there's a place where, like, people said, well, I mean, if I believe what you believe, like, if you believe in Jesus, you're completely forgiven of everything you've ever done, do, or will do. Why can't you just go and live like an idiot the rest of your life? And in Romans 6, Paul says, you can't. And it's like, why not? He said, because something's happened to you. And it's like, well, what is it? I don't know how to say this, but like you've been baptized into Jesus. Like you've been, the, the word baptized is a word that means dunked. You just you're dunked into Jesus. You've just been dunked into him, into his death, into his life, into his resurrection. You're all wet with him. Like it's in your nose, it's in your ears, he's everywhere, he's all over you. It's just you're different now. You you you're alive in Jesus. You've just been splashed into him. He's all over you. There's another place where Jesus said, How do I explain this supernatural power? And Jesus said, okay, it's like a vine coming out of the ground, okay? And there is a branch and um, coming off it. That's you. You're just like a stick. But you're coming off this vine. It takes a foot of water a week per vine for it to do what it does to produce fruit that's beautiful and delicious and sweet. That's a lot of water. And all of that water, a foot a week, and all the minerals are going up in through this trunk and then out into the branch. It's just like that. It's a supernatural power of Jesus that is just flowing up in you who are like a stick, so you have the power to be like supernaturally patient and sweet and kind. So you might have the question, What do I have to do to be that person? Like, what, what do, So what do I have to do to be supernaturally sweet and kind and supernaturally patient and to have the love of Jesus in my life? What do I have to do? Nothing. It's like trying as hard as you can to do nothing. Look at the stick. What's it doing? It's doing nothing. Like, is it working out? No. Does it have an, ex- an exercise regimen? No. It's just, it's just dependent. It's just depending on the vine. You don't do anything to have the supernatural power of the love and sweetness and patience of Jesus. And that shouldn't be surprising to you, because you did exactly nothing to get into this Jesus family. There's a place in in, we didn't earn it. We didn't pay for it. We didn't deserve it. There's a place in Romans chapter 3 where Paul says, in like verse 20, all have sinned, like we've all, so we've all done a million things. We've all said, thought a million things that we shouldn't have done. We're hopelessly polluted. We can't pay for what we've done. And there's nothing that we can do to change ourselves. And that's why Jesus came. Like Jesus came because we couldn't do anything about this situation. And he was Almighty God who became a human being to teach us how to live, show us how to live. Nobody's ever followed his example or his teachings. He came to pay for us. So when he um, died in that horrible way, he was paying for all the stuff that we did. And then he rose from the dead and, and he said, and we're justified freely through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The word justified, it's a word that means, well, you're completely forgiven of everything you've ever done, do, or will do, but you're pronounced accepted and acceptable, acceptable. If nobody's ever accepted you, Jesus does, and so you're an acceptable person, and he did it because he wanted you. If nobody ever wanted you, he wanted you. You're, you're wantable. You're officially wantable because he loved you, because he, he loved you. And so if nobody's ever loved you, he does. He did. You're officially a lovable person. And it's a, he said, we're justified. We're pronounced accepted and acceptable, wanted and wantable, loved and lovable, freely. So the, the Greek word freely there in, in Romans 3.24, it's, a word, it's the word Dorian, And I think it's used five times in the New Testament. But if you look at other places where that word is used, like, for example, at the end of, Romans, of John chapter 15, Jesus said, you need to understand that they're going to hate me without reason. And so that little phrase, without reason, in the Greek New Testament, there's that word doreion. So if you cut that phrase and paste it in Romans 3:24, we're justified without reason. There's nothing in us that he should have done that. Like in Galatians chapter 2, Paul said, if, G- if, if you could earn your way into the kingdom of God, Jesus died for nothing. That f- f- little phrase for nothing, its that word Dorian is right there. If you cut that and paste it in Romans 3, 24, we're justified for nothing. There's nothing that we did. There's a place in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 where Paul said, you know what? People are saying, I don't know what they're saying about me, but I just want you to know I never ate anybody's bread without paying for it. That little phrase, without paying for it, it's the Greek word doreion. If you cut that and paste it in Romans 3.24, we're justified without paying for it. We didn't do anything. We can't earn this. We can't, be, we can't deserve it. We didn't do anything. There was a criminal that was, that was nailed to a cross the same day Jesus was nailed to a cross and died for us. And he understood that Jesus was offering a gift, the gift of like a new start and a new heart and a complete forgiveness of everything we've ever done, do or will do. But he couldn't do anything to earn it. He he, he didn't have any strength left. In a couple of hours, he wouldn't have most of his blood left. He couldn't promise to do better. He didn't have any time left. He couldn't pay for it. He didn't have any clothes on. He didn't have any place to put any money. It was absolutely free. All you have to do. So it's by faith, which is the opposite of doing. It's like not doing. Believing is just saying. I understand this, this gift is available for me. And in wanting it, it's mine. I didn't do anything except want it. And it's yours. And I am accepted and acceptable, loved and lovable, wanted and wantable. And I didn't do anything to get it. Except believe. So there's, an, there's, an, there's another thing. There's, an, there's, an, there's another thing in the next chapter that's kind of been impressing me lately in the book of Romans, chapter four, where Paul says, okay, it's just by believing, it's just by doing nothing. Um, but you need to get good at doing nothing. Like you need to with, do, put everything you have into doing nothing. Like this whole thing about believing. Um, All you have to do is believe to have it. But it's better if you're good at believing, like if you put a lot into it. So he takes an example of somebody in the Old Testament who received kind of this gift, Abraham. And he said, so Abraham, okay, faith is not doing anything. It's just believing. But he was good at it. Like he didn't, he didn't, um, he said he didn't waver in his faith. And the word waver is a word that means vacillate or to go back and forth. In other words, at a certain point because he said if you're if you that way, if you go back and forth. Like I believe I'm loved. I'm not so sure. I believe I'm accepted. I'm not so sure. I don't really know. It's like just believe it. Like make up your mind and believe it because he said if you If you're not fully persuaded, you'll be weak in your faith. And it's a word that means sick. It's a word that means feeble. It's a word that means infirm. You won't be really, really healthy. He said. But he said Abraham was fully persuaded. He's just like, make up your mind that you're going to believe this. I am going to believe with all of my heart that that gift is mine and that I am loved. And because of Jesus, I'm a lovable person, that I'm accepted. And I'm an acceptable person. I'm just going to believe it. I'm just making up my mind to believe it. There's a place where Paul was talking about his friends. And he said, y'all have faith, but it's just a little faith. You're just little faith. You're just a little bitty. But, then, but in, in Matthew chapter 15, he talks about a woman. And he said, her faith is great. And he uses the word megale, megale pistis. She has a great faith. It's where we get the word mega. Her faith is mega. But it's a word that's translated in the New Testament, huge. Sometimes it's translated high. Sometimes it's translated loud. Sometimes it's translated powerful. Her faith, the way she does nothing but believe, she's powerful at it. It's a word that's translated extraordinary. It's a word that's translated wonderful. And so like if you are a person like that, like you you realize that he's offering me a gift and Wanting it, I have it. And you know what? I super have it. I know I have it. I know I'm loved. I know I'm accepted. I know I'm wanted. And it's all because of the heart of Jesus. It's just because he loved me. It's just because he's the way he is. It's because of him. And I believe it. And I believe that it's not because of anything I did. It's because of him. It's because of who he was and who he is and what he did and what he does for me. It's just because of that. And do you know what? If you get powerful in your faith like that, powerful at doing nothing but believing that, you're going to love him. And you're going to love him so much that you're going to be so thankful for him that Jesus is going to become your hero. And you're going to think, I want to be like him. I want to love like that. I want to, uh, I, I mean, I want to be like him. I, I mean, I want to be me. I know God made me to be me, but I want to be the Jesus he me. Like, I want to be the Jesus version of me. Like, I want to be me, but with supernatural patience like he had. Like, I want to be me, but with the supernatural joy that he had. I want that transformational brightness. What do you have to do to get it? Nothing. To get the gift, all you had to do was believe the gift was available and in wanting it, you have it and then falling in love with Jesus Christ. That power of Jesus, that transformational power that can make you supernaturally kind and sweet, all you have to do is believe that power is available. And in wanting it, because you love him, you have it. So I've had a little week. And it hadn't been so bright. And it hadn't been so light. And I've had kind of a tough time being that way. Um, and I wanted to be. I want to be that way. But this week wasn't so much that way. It's just been hard. And so I th- I've been thinking about it. And g- what what happened? What happened to Like, I want to be transformationally joyful and everything. But it really wasn't a week that I would call it. like. One of my top weeks that, for that stuff. And so I started to think about what happened. And, uh, and so I tried to do a thing for Jesus. I tried to do a couple of things for Jesus, and they didn't go very well. One of them was my class up at the prison. I mean, like, I put everything into it. I had a couple of guys that didn't come, guys that I really love. And they, you know, they're really students that I want to throw my life into, and they didn't come. And a couple of my great students that were there, one of them fell asleep, and then the other one started to fall asleep. And it's just like, and I light myself on fire up there. I'm like, I was putting everything I had into it. And then I had another thing that didn't go quite so well the way I thought. And I just kind of had a thing where I felt a little bit self-condemning. Like, you're just not good at this stuff. Like, you know, I, I don't know if you have it anymore. Or I don't kind of don't really know what's happening to you. And I started kind of, comparing myself to other people, and I thought, well, they don't want to have this problem, or other people don't struggle like I do to serve Jesus. Why is it so hard for me? And then I started to complain, kind of con- condemning myself and comparing myself and complaining to myself, God, why, why don't you help me? Like, why, why do you make it, like, so hard? Why is it always so hard for me? And I stepped back, and I looked at the vine, and I took another step back, and I saw the mind dresser. And he said to my heart, you know what we need to do? We need to lift you up a little bit. So we, we need to lift you up and tie you up a little bit higher. Um, you need to get some sun. You need to get some air. What do you believe, baby? Like, what, what do, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? I only use you because you're, like, good at it or not good at it. That's not what we believe, is it? We believe it's a gift. We believe, you know, you don't really believe I'm hard on you, do you? Isn't it a gift? Wasn't this whole thing um, a gift? You're not really comparing yourself to other people. Are you really doing that? We need to go back and believe a little better in the nothing that you've always done to have the gift. That because you believe in Jesus Christ, you're loved, right? And you're accepted, right? And you're wanted, right? That's what you believe, right? And I was like, yeah. 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 Thanks for taking me back there. Thanks for insisting that I believe That it's not by any doing of mine, but it's because of your precious heart. That I'm loved and wanted and accepted. I'm sorry for forgetting that, but thanks for reminding me. And then I felt like, not that he said it, but I could hear him telling it. You know that go-to you have when stuff happens, that self-condemnation and that complaining and that comparing yourself? So I'm going to pinch those. Like, that's what the vine dresser, when there's growth, it shouldn't be there. I'm just, we need to pinch those. You know what I mean? If you don't want to go back down there again, you need to get rid of that. Like, you need to, so I read this, I read a thing this week in, uh, in Numbers chapter six. It's kind of a weird thing. But it super helped me. It talks about people who make a vow called a Nazarite vow. Like if you really want to be devoted to God, take a vow where for like a month or whatever, you're not going to cut your hair, you're not going to drink wine or eat grapes or grape seeds or anything. Just none, none of that. And I thought this is so weird. Like why would you just like not cut your hair? I don't know. But I got some things I need to decide I'm not going to do. I need to take a vow. That for the next month or for the rest of my life, I'm never going to complain again. I'm never going to complain about anything again as long as I live. And I'm never going to, because he's just going to pinch it. And I'm not going to compare myself or my life or my work with anybody ever again as long as I live. And you know what else I'm not going to do? I'm not going to condemn myself anymore. And I'm not going to tell myself that I'm not as good as other people. Because I'm going to believe and I am going to believe that I didn't do anything, but that I am loved, and that I am accepted, and I am wanted. I th- there was a woman, there was a, uh, a woman who, her mother and dad were missionaries in Africa. They never had electricity. They were like in Central African Republic. They never had electricity the whole time. They never had running water. They lived in, in like an adobe hut. And... Uh, But her mother was the most joyful person she ever knew. And she she always wondered what her secret to joy was. And when her mother died, she was reading through her journals. And every journal she had, she always started the first page with this. These are my rules for living. One, never complain about anything, including the weather. Two, never compare yourself or your life with that of anyone else ever. Number three, never wish that your life was in any way different from what it has actually been. So, (sighs) anyway, let's get good at this. Like, let's get good at doing nothing. Let's get good at just saying, um, I believe. I believe the gift was made available to me. And um, in wanting it, I got it. And I believe his power is available to me. And because I love him for the gift he gave me, in wanting it, I have it. And let's come and take this bread. And let's come and take this cup. And take it back to your seat. And let's don't be mopey about this. Like, you know what I mean? Like, let's don't do this in kind of a sad, mopey way. Let's take it back to our seat. And we're going to take it together. And we're not going to feel shame about it. We're going to say, as I take this bread and I take this cup, I am saying to God and myself, I am loved. I am wanted. I'm accepted and acceptable. Lord God. If I could be... If I could be good at one thing for the rest of my life, I want to be good at this. I want to be good at believing that I'm loved, that I'm wanted, that I'm accepted. It's all I want. And I know in my heart, it's the secret to a beautiful life. Help me in Jesus' name.
0: I'm a child of the maker of stars Oh, the one who knows everything Handmade my heart and he cherishes, treasures me Gave life and blood He is my friend and I am his beloved it feels like my life's just a mess. Only failures and struggles, and no sign of success. But Jesus is for me. He sees me so differently, loves me, accepts me. I'm choosing to believe that I am a child of the name Oh, the one who knows everything made my heart and he cherishes, treasures me Gave life and blood well, He is my friend and I'm his beloved well, Sometimes I feel like I'm not good enough That I have no future and I have no worth But the God of all galaxies has a good plan for me Leads me and helps me I'm choosing to believe That I am a child of the maker of stars Oh, the one who knows everything and made my heart and he cherishes, treasures me, gave life and blood. Well, he is my friend, and I am his beloved. Well, I am a child of the maker of stars. Oh, the one who knows everything. Handmade my heart and He cherishes, treasures me Gave life and blood, well He is my friend And I am His beloved